Welcome to the Legally Sound Smart Business Show, your weekly look at legal news and questions in the business world. Here are your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Stahl. All right, welcome to our podcast where we cover business in the news and add our legal twist. My name is Nasser Pasha. And I'm Matt Stobb. And I am a business attorney and so is Matt. And we practice business law throughout the country in Texas, California, New York, and Illinois. Been doing it for a while now, right? Well, speak for yourself. I can't say. I don't think I can necessarily put myself in all those states, but the firm at least. We provide legal services to small and medium-sized businesses and we're happy to do it. And this is, this is the podcast where we cover what's relevant to our clients. How, how I look at it, it's, it's an interesting dynamic because it's, we, you know, not to spend too much time on this, but we're, we typically serve a small to medium-sized businesses. We often talk about big businesses and then relate it back to how it applies to those small and medium-sized businesses. So it's uh, running the full gamut of business size. <laughs> it's true, but the reason is, is because only big business have the money to actually litigate these issues. So they're the ones that control the law. And, and we'll see that today in our topic today, for sure. I guess you can classify this as still, they've gotten some, some money, but it's still a relatively small business. I think this would fall under our our typical client, or not our typical, but a client we would, would handle necessarily. But so we're, we're talking about Brave Software. And so for those of you that aren't familiar with it, I think the best way to kind of summarize this, at least from my perspective, is a, I don't know if you want to say ad blocker or ad replacer, but basically it's a, you know, you go to a site dealing with the media in this case, and essentially a, an ad that might pop up. I mean, everyone's I'm sure you're, everyone's listening is familiar with this. You go to you know, the Union Tribune, do something in San Diego. You try to click on an article, and instead of getting that, you get some sort of ad or video or something to that effect. I mean, I think we've all been there, and I'm sure you've been there, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and of course, with all those ads, it also slows down the website. And this Brave software purports to promise a speed up to 300% times faster by removing web page ads and scripts. But the main issue is that the New Newspaper Association of America has thrown a fuss about this, and they sent a very scathing letter and published it online to basically protest against this browser. Right. And it, if you notice, I was hesitant to say ad blocker at the beginning because I think that's kind of how they were describing it initially, or at least that's how it's being reported. But really what it is, is an ad replacer. And, and you kind of, you just touched on it. It's the way they've set things up is going to speed speed things up on the the user's end. It's possibly going to do some things with tracking of of people as well. I mean, less tracking as opposed to you know going to a site and having those things on your computer. Then also from a security standpoint. But the idea in place for Brave is that it's going to replace the ads that you would typically see and cater it, I guess, more so towards something that you might be interested in. And and you know, I think. This is actually, we could see that out there too. I don't know if you've ever, this is when I search for things, this is why I always do it in a private browsing because I don't want this to, to track it as something in mind. So I've been looking yeah. up uh, a day bed that my wife had picked out. And so I looked it up. And now when I go to the, all these websites, certain sites, I see all these ads for that day bed or 
The funny thing is I'll see ads for some of our clients from time to time too, because I'll have been on their site recently. That's right. So it's, I mean, it's something that I think people are more familiar with than they, they think. No, there's, there's no doubt that that happens. I mean, Facebook knows that my wife and I are expecting a baby in a month or two. I mean, like everything. And yeah. it's all like it's all like about their searching for baby stuff all day. Somehow, I don't know, maybe I did one search and all of a sudden it's like they've tagged me that, okay, these guys are expecting and everything, all the Facebook ads are, are all about babies. But you're right. And then six months, six months ago was for another client because, you know, we were on their website or, or what have you. So yeah. That and that privacy aspect, we've talked about online privacy quite a bit, but I think that is one thing that they purport to solve. So, um, by the way, we're, we're going to have a guest later on today. I, I think we forgot to mention that at the top of the show, but looking forward to it. He's a media expert, really looking forward to his kind of take on, on the situation because this is really trying to challenge the status quo of the industry. But let's take a look at what, what's the big deal, right? What, what is the national newspaper association really saying or complaining about in their letter, Matt. Right. And so we'll, we'll link this letter because it's pretty interesting. And it's it's signed by you know, the council of what seems to be pretty much every media company that's out there. I think there was, I counted yesterday, I think there were 17 different firms, which probably represent different people as well. But but pretty much every on, like everything from the New York Times to other, mostly newspapers, right? But there was some other online media moguls as well, right? Right, exactly. And what's their, so what's their big gripe here? And so I don't think it's going to surprise anyone that how sites like these would make money, you know, something like the New York Times or the Washington Post, how an online site like that is going to make money is through advertising, paid advertising. I don't think that's going to shock anyone. I mean, that's how you know, really oh, that in subscriptions, but you know, that's, that's a typical model. And so their big gripe is this. I mean, they're essentially saying that when somebody, when Brave allows a user to install this on their computer or in their browser, it's essentially stealing the content of these media companies. So basically it's saying that you're using, they're, they're using our content to sell their ads, which I don't necessarily agree with, but that's, that's a claim that was made. And Really what it boils down to is they're, they're alleging things such as copyright infringement, which I think is probably going to be the central issue here, violation of publisher's terms of use, probably some unfair competition, breach of contract, unauthorized access to the site, I imagine. But I think it all kind of centers around the, the copyright infringement aspect of it, essentially saying you're coming to our site, ripping off these ads, replacing with your own. That's a big problem because we consider that stealing. Yeah. And... And this is not the first time these kinds of legal issues have come up in different contexts. And the number one thing that comes to mind is everyone has DVRs at home, or at least most people now with any kind of cable, whether it's TiVo or, or their cable provider. And the skipping of commercials at first was a little controversial. And so there was lit- lit- litigation surrounding that. But even more recently, Dish Network came up with this device where you would actually skip the commercials just with a click of a button. And how it would work is somehow they would detect uh, using either human beings or computers to determine where the commercials are. And using your DVR, you'd be able to press one button and, and skip it. And then also the ask, another litigated issue was how you could access the re- shows that you recorded or that you tagged from anywhere, not only from your home. And so this was all litigated most of it was settled, though, but there was one case this year that actually gave some clarity on the copyright issue, at least. 
I think it was a Supreme Court of California, or no, it was a Ninth Circuit ruling. And basically they said that it wasn't copyright infringement. And they really specified, really focused in on the fact that it was the user, the TV owner, or I should say the the watcher, uh, the viewer that actually initiated the publication. And so if it was the Dish Network that was holding all these TV shows on their servers and it was pulling it down, that's not okay. But if it's the user that's that they have access to, that they've already legally accessed the content and then reproduced it somewhere else, even if it's using Dish Network servers, that was okay. And so with that, we can make some analogies of what's going on with the Brave software. Yeah, I mean, just and this is distinguishing from a case that had gone previously with this, which I believe was with TiVo. But yeah, you're exactly right. It's the the reasoning was that the end user validly received what they paid for. And so they had the right to then, you know, skip through this. But I believe it was the ultimate settlement in this. They they settled to some terms and what it ended up being. The decision was they can use this, but it has to be at least seven days old or they have to essentially wait a week in order for to allow them to do it. Yeah. It was a weird thing. It was a weird uh, (laughs) settlement. I think it was some kind of compromise and and often these big issues, like we're talking about these big companies, these are legal issues that maybe they don't want to go to trial because it may cause precedent and so forth and that is more damaging than it would be. So here we, okay, so let's go back to our Brave software here, right? So we have this browser that blocks ads, but does something even different. It actually replaces the ads with something else. Mm-hmm. And just, I don't know, again, I don't know if we talked about this, but how how it works is basically as a user, and it's a little complicated, but I'll try to simple it here, is as a user, when you access the a website and you replace it with another ad, that ad publisher gets some funds from it, but then 15% goes into the user's wallet, and then another percentage goes to the actual website if they're cooperating with the network, this ad network. And that 15% that goes into your wallet, you can either keep or donate somehow. I'm not sure exactly how that works. But ultimately, the idea is, is that it's creating this separate ad network separate from what the publishers of these websites are doing. These publishers have have made it very clear that not only are they not going to participate on this network, but they're not going to be accepting any money or funds that may be given to them as well. We won't go into too much detail on this aspect of it, but this is one of my favorite parts about the aspect of Bitcoin and these sort of micropayments. And I think this is the idea. Yeah. This is the that that idea in action that you know you can split up something, have these sort of micropayments, and it'll all funnel through to you, like you just said, those various parties with the different percentages and it's an interesting idea i'm still not sure i mean if it was if it was software that just or if it's something on my browser that just blocked the ads i'd be all in for that i don't i mean to me it's at the end of the day i just don't want anything i don't care if it's replaced with something else but it's not a long-term solution if everything's blocked then the idea is that how do they make the money and i think that's that's brave's point in fact they made a very detailed response point by point as to why they feel that what they're doing is not the problem and actually the solution. And, and they talk about more of a conceptual perspective. First of all, not, they, they totally contest the, the precept that they're publishing or republishing anything. They're just kind of changing how things look. And, and they have a pretty good argument. And I think we can, I, I, I'm anxious to get Matt's uh, opinion. I'm sorry. We have you as Matt and a guest as Matt and also our audio editors, also Matt or Matthew. Yeah. So it gets it kind of confusing. But Matt, Michael Ree is our guest and Matt Staub is our, you're a co-host, right? Yeah, this seems like a fitting time to bring him. Let me give a quick intro. So he's an experienced digital consultant working with household brands such as Bose, Sony, Dell, and Microsoft. 
New to the San, Di- San Antonio area, I almost said San Diego there, too used to, I apologize. San Antonio area currently serves as senior digital marketing manager for USAA. For the past 10 years of his career, he has found his calling working in the crossroads of marketing, technology, and politics. Prior to launching his own full-service digital marketing agency in 2011, he spent seven years in Washington, D.C. as a congressional staffer, presidential campaign advisor, lobbyist. Throughout the many twists and turns of his career, he has remained a staunch defender of internet civil liberties and supporter of an individual's right to online privacy. So I think he's going to be have some good takes on this one. So let's bring him in. Absolutely. Matt, thank you for joining us. Yeah, absolutely, guys. So first off, thank you for inviting me to this podcast. I was reviewing some of the past topics you guys have covered and just very interested in all of the topics that you're covering because I don't think that they're being talked about as widely and far as, as they should be. But so I was kind of chomping at the bit while these guys had me Good. on mute. <laughs> hey, and it's great. It's great that they had me on mute. I'm like making notes. I'm highlighting as we go here. But there's a few things I wanted to touch on. One is I think that what we're seeing is from the newspapers in particular is a reaction based on fear. You know, you're talking about an industry that is several hundred years old that has been slow to embrace digital and has very rarely actually led from the front. A point that I believe Pasha brought up earlier that I wanted to make as well is TiVo, okay? So advertising, it, it, it's no surprise that people don't like advertising, but traditionally that has been the model that supports free content, right? That's right. So I wanted to kind of counter that by, there was an interesting statistic that came out from Netflix just recently. They polled their users. I don't know how many they have these days, but it seems like everybody I know has Netflix or, you know, is using somebody else's Netflix or whatever. But they polled their users, and 74% of their subscribers would leave if they adopted an advertiser-based model, which I think is important to point out. I know that this podcast focuses a lot on small and medium-sized businesses. And one thing I just really want to highlight is content will always remain king. And if you have solid content, your users will flock to you really regardless. But going back to the newspapers, I think that one thing they haven't highlighted, you know, they, they've pointed out a lot of problems in the model, but they haven't chosen to highlight, not really surprisingly, but the benefits that they're receiving, okay? So Huffington Post, Drudge Report, BuzzFeed, to an extent Reddit, all of these online websites are aggregators of content that then distribute traffic to these websites, Washington Post, New York Times, etc., that those individuals may not have chosen to visit on their own. So, you know, there's a kind of an adage, if you make the, the front page of Reddit, you just, I mean, you see the day. That was the story of the day. And you better be checking on your servers because your traffic's just kind of going to overload. And the reason why I bring that up is just because 
you know, they're benefiting from this as well. But another point that the team made was that it's all based on kind of advertising dollars. So that's what we've talked about so far. But truthfully, the back end where Washington Post and New York Times and newspapers in general are, are making money is by sharing and aggregating third-party data. So uh, I can kind of provide that perspective in my you know, latest endeavors as a digital marketer, but you always have first-party data that you leverage, okay? That's your, your own company-owned data. Then you have second-party and third-party data, and essentially what that lets you do is better target your audience and understand your demographic. And that's really where they're, they're making their dollars. Which is important to note because I think that in the brief, they, they really didn't even touch on that at all. So, but do you really think that, do you really think that this Brave software is the answer? Are, are, they, are they really going to rework something that has been at play for quite a long time? And are they a true disruptor? What do you think? Here's what I think. I think uh, I was excited to see Mozilla really going back to the roots. I first used started using Firefox, you know, when I was 14, 15 years old. And they were a true nonprofit that their goal was an open vision of the Internet where it was accessible to everyone. I think that what they're trying to do now is come up with a more distributive model that rewards users, it rewards publishers, and it's just not one side of the fence making all of the profits. The newspapers in general are just going to have to come around to the fact that their model has been disrupted. Users were acceptive of somewhat non-intrusive ads, but over the, over the years, it's just transformed into more and more intrusive ads. And, and the non, but the non-intrusive ads don't seem to really work anymore, right? I mean, everyone kind of just glosses over them. And I think, I'm, let me ask you a question. This is my understanding is that even on websites where you have these common banner ads or even on mobile sites where you have that small banner on the bottom and so forth, people just tend to tune those out. And what we call that is becoming ad blind is what you're referring to. So all of a sudden, I, I use my mother as an example. She's a retiree now but she's become a very sophisticated web user, whereas you know, a, a normal Google search may have misled her in the past, but now she's become more savvy. What we've seen is websites like CNN, and I'm not just call them out in particular, but any news media website, providing very little actual content and instead replacing about 80% of their actual real estate with ads. And instead of just passive ads, you have ads that now automatically play audio, automatically play video, and as you mentioned earlier, that starts to slow down your browser, and that affects the user experience. And I think that's something that they're going to have to really evaluate what's in the best interest of their users, especially because, as I mentioned, the primary source of their traffic is not their own users. It's coming from outside aggregator websites like Huffington Post, Trudge Report, BuzzFeed, that are directing them traffic that they otherwise would not have gotten. 
And if this was truly a problem, in my opinion, there are solutions. They could put up basically premium paywalls, okay? If they think that their content is so valuable and that they're not benefiting from the masses, then they can, you know, show a limited article and encourage people to subscribe. You know, my neighbor uh, on both sides of me get the newspaper every single day, but I don't expect to get that for free either. And, and I think the New York Times has done that, right? It, they, they offer, I think, 10 free ads or 10 free articles per month. Or maybe that's the Wall Street Journal. I can't remember which one. And then after that, you have to, they have a, a premium, premium model. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they want to try to hook you, right? I mean, I don't think it's any surprise that those are the folks covering the Olympics, right? NBC has exclusive rights to, to cover the Olympics. But NBC themselves, people aren't just typing in NBC.com. They're... You know, there's memes that are popping up, there's YouTube videos, and there's a lot of traffic driving to their website. And where I feel like they are missing the mark is by just oversaturating their website with advertisements and they're dissuading people from going there directly, if that makes sense. If that makes sense. But to bring it back to what you were saying about the, you know, the new browser software, I think that this kind of hails to the earlier days of the Internet where it's a more distributive model. And we've seen Bing, which Microsoft owns, start to adopt this in the last few years where they're rewarding their users with credits based on their loyalty to using their search browser. Yeah, I saw it, but that that's not that's not that hasn't really picked up though, right? It hasn't picked up on a massive scale, primarily because Google's dominant in that market. You know, they're about ninety five percent of the traffic. But it, it it goes into ad sharing and you know, the big boys in the room, Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, they just think that, you know, I mean, it is expensive to fund this content, right? I mean, they're sending the reporters out into the field, et cetera. I get it. But the, the primary point I want to make is they're ignoring the sources of their traffic because especially within the millennial generation, they're not typing in New York Times to get their content, okay? They're, no. they're on Facebook. They're on Instagram, they're on Snapchat, and those those types of well, and even the aggregators, Huffington Post, Drudge Report, etc., are funneling traffic to these main websites, and they're benefiting from that traffic. They would love it if those sites did not exist, and our only option back in the '90s was to have a portal that was AOL, and that was our only source of knowledge, but. They're going to have to learn how to adapt to the changing environment. This kind of reminds me of, sorry, Nasser, to bring this up, but it reminds me of Uber in that basically to me, Uber, UberX found a much better way to get people from point A to point B. The taxi cab industry, you know, obviously doesn't like it. And kind of going back to what Matt said at the beginning, almost maybe it's a, it's, I think it's a fear issue and fear that someone else is doing it better than they are. And, you know, they try to fight it through legislation or something like that. I mean, I don't know. I guess, Matt, my question for you is, I mean, in your opinion, do you see this as, do you see what Brave's doing as the answer or something that's going to be able to be 
I guess, defeated? I don't think, from my personal opinion, it is the answer. I think that we have to consider where the Internet is in its evolution. For most of us, that meant the 2000s were kind of the turning point for the Internet where it became sensationalized and this is a big deal and, you know, everybody's paying attention to the Internet. But fast forward, guys, we're, we're, we're almost in 17 years later, okay? The business model that worked before is not the one that's working now. And I think what we're going to see, just from my own personal opinion, is more moving towards product-based sales, so affiliate sales. So for your folks on the phone that are small and medium business owners, that's more a business based on leads, okay? So it's advertising, but how do you get those people in the door? I think the way you get those people in the door is by having quality content. And there's no substitute for quality content. People will find a way to flock to your website if you're providing relevant information that they're looking for. Now, if I were to pull up some of these major websites right now in my browser, what I have found recently at least is, you know, it's about 80% ads and then the main content is the screenshots that are grabbed from Twitter or Reddit or some other source. It's not as thought-provoking content as they may lead you to believe. Now, that's not to say that that that's what's showing up in your doorstep is not, you know, tier tier one content. But if you if you were to jump on those websites right now, it's just a recap of what the social media websites have already covered, in my opinion. No, yeah, it's it's just rehashing, reaggregating. There's very little original content. I mean, here we're rehashing a story that, I mean, just to be, to be frank, we're, we're rehashing a story that, you know, made news, you know, a couple of weeks ago. And that's the only reason we're covering it because it's pretty interesting. But at, at the end of the day, you know, this is just kind of a, a, a repackaging of it. But of course, we have our nice legal twist to that. But in fact, let's, let's bring it home to small, medium-sized businesses. We have mobile app developers as clients. We have a lot of uh, businesses that depend on Facebook ads for their products and so forth. And I'm just wondering, okay, the internet is changing a little bit, but at the end of the day, we're still, we're still in a paid ad model in the sense that there's Facebook ads still work. And as far as on, on mobile, I think that the, the model of having advertisements as giving free apps are not as popular now, but it seems like we've already seen a trend there. You produce a good game or a good piece of that, a good app, people are going to pay for it. Not only people are going to pay for it, they're going to keep paying for it because they want to buy more stuff for the game like those... Uh, the premium model is what you're talking about. But I mean, essentially, I agree with you. But if the New York Times feels very strongly about their content, then that's kind of the model that they're going to have to turn to is people are going to be paying for content. I, I think that's really kind of the future where we're headed. I'm interested to see because if, if Brave picks up. And I think that's that's the only time we're litig- like at this point, uh, I know maybe with tech geeks, Brave is becoming popular, but really until until they start really making an impact on market share at the very beginning, it doesn't take much for for these guys to actually start getting into litigation. It's I think it's gonna be very similar to a TiVo type analysis, but where it's different, where the difference between 
Brave and TiVo and these other cases is that TiVo and Dish Network, they're not replacing ads with another ads. And I think that's an interesting legal component that even though the Brave has a justification that they're saying, okay, we're going to distribute these funds even more to the publishers than they would otherwise be given, whether that's true or not, that, that's, that's a non-issue because here, all of a sudden, you're inserting yourself as an ad, ad publisher and taking away the ad revenue. It does seem a little you know, intrusive. What do you think? I want to touch on one thing you said about market share that maybe listeners aren't familiar with. Mozilla in the beginning actually was the giant in the room. Oh yeah, Firefox. Yeah, that's right. Mozilla Firefox was the giant in the room before the bigger players, well, some of them even existed. Before Google was even invented, Firefox was the browser of choice. So I think some of this is them returning to the roots. What I'm interested in seeing is if the distribution model that they've put in place will pay off, okay? So we understand where Washington Post and New York Times are concerned, you know, or or the big newspapers in general. What's their bottom line? But if you can reward your users through some type of loyalty program, I'm interested in seeing where that where that goes. And I don't I don't know that I can foretell the future on that, you know, and that, that may be the second evolution of kind of where the internet is headed. Yeah. And I, you mentioned the, the, the Bing kind of point system that I'm, I'm vaguely familiar with that, but it, I think what ha- it would have to be something to that effect, because if you have individual loyalty kind of programs such as that, I mean, like, for example, we all pay a subscription for Netflix, but can you imagine paying for a separate subscription for every single piece of contact that you, that you access? It just starts to add up. I mean, you know, keeping track of those monthly credit card charges alone, you know, would would be annoying. So I I do believe what you're saying. There's something there. That, uh, it's starting to happen. Do we have any? Uh, I'm sure we have some Game of Thrones fans on here. Oh, yeah, sure. I know it's not open yeah. to everybody, but you know, HBO. I was just recently at a conference, and they were explaining their move towards this HBO Go model. Okay, so. You don't have to have a full cable subscription to consume HBO content, right? So they charge, I think it's $10.99 a month. And if I look at myself, I pay $10.99 a month for HBO. I pay $9.99 a month for Netflix. I have Netflix, or sorry, Amazon Prime, and I pay for that too. This could lead us down all kinds of different rabbit holes, but <laughs> but yeah. I think of this discussion, I think that really the core issue is that these bigger institutions feel threatened. It's not the first time that they've felt threatened. An example I wanted to bring up earlier along the lines of uh, Netflix and others was ebooks, okay? Ebooks versus Barnes and Noble and th- those yeah. groups. They were very adamantly against that, but Amazon found a way to produce readers very cheaply through advertising. Or if you wanted to pay a premium amount, you could get one without ads. And I think that's what the, ultimately what these newspapers and 
providers are going to have to do is they're going to have to find either a happy medium or a, a separate course where you're paying for that content because advertising alone is not going to support it, certainly not with the rise of ad blockers because no one likes ads. We've already talked about that, so why don't I just say it? You know, you, meant, you mentioned TiVo and uh, the facts I brought up with Netflix, 74% of people would unsubscribe if there were ads. Nobody liked ads. So where do we move forward? Very good. I think we should end on those comments. I really appreciate your time, Matt Michael Ree. And also I appreciate your time, Matt Staub, <laughs> as well, for joining us. I, I, I think a year from now, I predict Brave is just going to be used for a very small segment of the population. It, I feel like it just requires, it requires a buy-in from more, from more than just the users. It requires cooperation with these publishers, and they don't seem too anxious to get, in, get on board. They need one big publisher to, to sign off on it, then maybe they'll go somewhere. Well, what if they can block those ads, though? That's the, that's, that's the one concern I have. You know, like what kind of ground do they have to stand on if Brave can just kind of block those ads? You know, I was thinking maybe something along the lines of unfair competition or interference with contract, you know, business contracts. Something I'm interested in y'all's legal perspective. I, I know you're trying to kind of wrap this up, but yeah, I got excited about this. You know, I mean, like, what if their technology well, I, I, really I, I, just blocks the ad? You know, no, I, I, absolutely. And th there's already ad blockers out there. But to me, it's 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 not much different in, unless there's a you know somehow that they're storing these these content on their servers and then republishing it. But this is, if I understand the technology, it's a browser. Your own computer is the one that's blocking the advertising. Is so it's very similar to the. TiVo or Dish Network or the DVR model, and the only difference is it's automatically detecting the ads. I, again, I think the I think the tricky legal issue is replacing replacing the content, uh, replacing the ad content with your own ads. Because, for example, if they just kept the ad money, what's the difference between that and taking the ad money and giving it and dispersing it out? I mean, in the sense, from a legal sense, it's really no different. At the end, these publishers like the New York Times and so forth. They have their own contracts that they've set up. And that's why, that's why Matt Staub mentions the interference of contract. And we've talked about that before. It's in, the intentional interference of contract is always a throw-in. Uh, I, I shouldn't say always, but often. It's a, it's, a, it's a tort of last resort because oftentimes you don't have something else to fall back for. And same with the unfair business practices. Those are usually state statutes and not on a federal basis. So... Copyright is usually so the strong. For example, on TiVo, from the legal perspective, what I'm hearing you say is that it has less to do with really the blocking of the ads as much as the replacing of the ads. And I know we've been kind of dancing around this a little bit, but that seems really the core issue of where you're honing in on this particular browser is. It's not that ad blockers aren't going to exist because we all hate ads. We've already come to that conclusion. It's the replacing of those ads and funneling revenue in different directions. Is that correct? Absolutely. And I think and 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 unfortunately that is the very substance of what, you know, Brave is trying to tackle and perhaps I think they've done it in the best way possible if they're going to in the sense that if they're going to reinvent how ad networks work, they're trying to do it in a way that, hey, these ad publishers still make money. 
So we the distribute revenue. the wealth. It's not that the, the 1% got rich, right? Yeah. But at the end of the day, they're still distributing wealth in different directions. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, and, and it's and it's it's not at the direction of who the actual publishers are. It's like some right. Some it's like I, I'm. It's like I mean, imagine I'm I'm creating this podcast, and then and then all of a sudden, and I have ads. Right? It's the exact same thing. How would I feel if all of a sudden someone blocked the ads out of the podcast, replaced it with another ad, and then? gave me a check for the amount of, of some dollar amount. It's like, well, who are you? I don't even know who you are. And all of a sudden you're selling ads on, on my, 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 my podcast. I think any publisher would, would have problems with that. Well, thank, again, thanks for joining us. Uh, you know, this is a, a good insight. I, I think from a quick legal take, Matt, uh, Matt Staub, what do you think? I mean, I, we've, we've talked about a lot of copyright issues. And when we have when we have clients that are either figuring out their ad model or their, their, their model, whether they're going to be charging for their services or ad model, it's something to think about. But at the end, one thing that I'm kind of gathering from all this is that when you disrupt the market, whether it's Uber, TiVo, or Brave, legal issues abound. I mean, it's, it's, you are guaranteed to have create enemies, and your, your, your next step is to get into litigation. Right. And I mean, I think it's something like it's exactly what you just said. And you kind of can, you can probably anticipate for the most part what the arguments are going to be, you know, not applying it to this brave example, but just like you said, in general, the, the disruptor aspect of it. The, I mean, I would say, look at the other side of the table as soon as possible, plan kind of how they're going to attack and just be prepared. I mean, it looks, it did, it did take brave a while to respond to this. There wasn't a lot of response there, but I think it's something that they had, you know, thought about for a while and kind of had it, it ready to kind of had their response in and, and ready to, to send out there. Yeah. In fact, they, let's see, they, this response was on, oh my God. I mean, it, if this is true, right, is this, it, it looks like, looks like the letter was published on April 7th and then their response was published April 7th. I don't know if that's true, but that's pretty, uh. And that's pretty late. I, I think we'll, we'll definitely post a link on both the letter and the response because from a legal perspective, whether you're a lawyer out there or not, it's pretty interesting to see their kind of uh, retort back and forth. But anyway, well, I, again, another another thank you to our guest, another Matt on the podcast. That's all we need. I, I, th- I already thought that we had one too many Matts on the podcast. Thank you, gentlemen. Uh, I apologize. I'm very passionate about this subject. Try to be... Uh as uh, fair and balanced as I can, but I, I really just think this industry is going through a transformation, but it's not one that small and, be, small and medium businesses can't, can't win in. I think that my advice to you all would be to focus on really your content and really just start there. So thank you, Gus. I r- really appreciate the time. Thank you. Uh, well, thanks for joining us, everyone. Yep. Keep it sound. Keep it smart. This has been the Legally Sound Smart Business Show with your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Stop. The Legally Sound Smart Business Show is your weekly look at legal news and questions in the business world. Legally Sound Smart Business is a podcast that is intended but not promised or guaranteed to be current, complete, or up to date, and should in no way be taken as an indication of future results. No attorney-client relationship is created by listening or submitting questions to the podcast. The podcast does not constitute legal advice. 
but rather is offered only for general informational and educational purposes. You should not act or rely on any information in the podcast without first seeking the advice of an attorney. The opinions expressed in the podcast reflect the views of those individuals and do not necessarily represent the views of any other individual or business. For more information about the Legally Sound Smart Business Show, visit LegallySoundSmartBusiness.com.